It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired their personal trainer as a caterer. All right, folks, let's keep this line moving. You there with the tongs. Picking up one Dutch's potato at a time will not cut it at my catering table. Drop and give me 50. But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. Okay, this is what we call the wild mushroom and asparagus dip, dip, and press. Come on, let's get those plates above your heads. For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today. fans, welcome to Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast on the Blue Wire Sports Podcasting Network. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the show. Happy New Year to everyone. Hopefully everyone is safe and well, particularly in the US after the last few days. Hopefully everyone is faring well in the new year and then hopefully 2021 is better than 2020, but uh, we're off to a rip-roaring start at the moment. But um, putting geopolitical politics aside for a moment, I'm here to talk basketball and uh, to talk Bulls specifically and and. Here to help me do that today is uh, Jacob, aka Rusty Buckets on Twitter, as per his YouTube handle as well. The, the man is famous now at this point. He, last time I had you on, Jacob, how many how many subs did you have on your YouTube last time we saw? Uh, probably 40, 50, something like that. Thousand, not 40, 50. And you've like almost tripled that. Yeah. Are you, are you, yeah. Is that fair to say? Double more like, but yeah, I guess, I don't know, 40 times three. I don't maybe do math. Uh, <laughs> I guess it would be times three, yeah. No, you're just being modest, mate. But uh, look, I just, uh, I just want no, to. No, that was you know, that obviously... wasn't modesty. That was me not understanding fractions. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I just wanted to say that. Um, I, I can't remember the last time that I had you on, but it was maybe a year ago, whatever it yeah. was. But um, you're obviously uh, rising within the YouTube scene, within the NBA circle. So that's cool to see, mate. So keep doing that. But um, I've got you on because you, at heart, even though you do cover the NBA, you are a Bulls fan at heart. Maybe still, I don't know. Is, is that fair to, fair to say you're still a Bulls fan at heart? Yeah, I mean, I can't watch any other NBA team and it, it's not half, the, not even 10% the degree of caring that I do yeah. about the Bulls. Like, I sometimes hate watching the Bulls because of how much I care in comparison to other teams. Yeah, no, I look, I think uh, I certainly understand that feeling. I'm sure most of the listeners tuning in um, completely understand that feeling as well. But um, look, you obviously cover the NBA 
so much of your YouTube content isn't isn't necessarily dedicated to the Bulls. And to be fair, why the hell would it? I'm, I'm not I'm not assuming many Bulls topics are getting many uh many hits or anything of that nature. Ironically, so it, probably make sense. it actually does pretty well for me when I talk about the Bulls, just because oh, really? it's always negative, and okay. my subscribers <laughs> like to see me angry. So. <laughs> Anytime there's a Bulls video, they know I'm going to be angry. So they're like, all right, it's time to click on this one. Yeah, fair enough. I guess last season with Boylan and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, that, there was probably views to be had in that sense. But maybe less so now where, yeah, there's probably not a ton to be angry about, I guess. Well, let me, let's let start there at least. I mean, this is my first podcast of the new year. Haven't had a really chance to uh, really re- reflect on the last few games at least. So what I thought we could do is maybe just spend uh, the next 35, 40 minutes, whatever it might be, talking about the new season, what what our expectations have been over the first two to three weeks, what we've seen, what we've liked, what we haven't liked, etc. So maybe we can start there and, and just get your impressions about this team more holistically, we were talking about the fact that maybe there's not much going on with this team from a from a pure content point of view. Maybe they're not the best team to cover right now because there's just not a lot of off-court uh, dramatics like last time around. The playings on the court and the play on the court is is what we kind of expected. But um, yeah, what what are your very high level thoughts? You know, nine games into the season at this well, point. Well, initially I was very angry because uh, we did not start the season off well. Mm-hmm. Uh, since then, this has looked more like an actual basketball team. My yeah. complaints for the beginning was, like, I never expected the Bulls to be, like, good, but I expected them to finally not be embarrassing. And <laughs> to start the year, they were embarrassing. But they've yeah. turned it around, and they're still not good, but they're not embarrassing. So it's a positive step in the right direction. There is, for the first time since 2017, the Bulls were 500 at one point. It was a miracle. Short lived, given that they lost to the Kings. Yeah, but it was a nice day. It was a nice day. Wasn't even a full twenty four hours, I don't think. But (laughs) no, no, it wasn't. But uh, yeah, that Portland win. To to your point, I mean, that's kind of all I was expecting as well. Just just some level of competency that we haven't had over the last three to four years. And really, in that Portland game, that it was quite stark actually how how competent that they did look. Like they just looked like an actual professional basketball team. Obviously, still leaking a lot of points, but. They probably got a win that they wouldn't have otherwise got, and Zach sort of alluded to that. I mean, to me, it, what always annoys me about annoyed me about this Bulls team in the past few years is I've seen them when they're when they're hitting on all cylinders, like when they're actually playing competent basketball. It's an entertaining product, even if it's not a high ceiling product. And I was just hoping that Billy Donovan, and in, instead of the idiot that was there previous. I don't know if you can curse on this podcast about to say yeah, something else. <laughs> uh, but he's made this team at least on most nights now n- play like a basketball team at the very least. And that's a nice, it's not, it's kind of depressing that like my, I'm like acting all positive about competence, but based on yeah. the past few years, that's what I have left. So yeah, it, it's weird. Like the the baseline is so low for Billy Donovan to clear at this point, and seemingly the same is for for Karnaschovas and Eversley. Like they don't have a high bar to clear at this point, and I, I kind of feel similarly to you, where I'm like, yeah, I'm just enjoying the the competency, the just the averageness of the of the level of basketball that we're seeing right now. It's not even average level basketball, really. Like, I mean, they're four and five from a record standpoint, which is close to average. But if you look at something like net rating, they're 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 bottom five in the NBA. They're twenty seventh in the in the league. So when I sort of look at the advanced numbers versus what I'm seeing on the court, I, I, I there's sort of a dichotomy there t- to a degree in terms of my feelings. 
So uh, I, I don't know what's, what to believe, how the next 10, 20, 30 games will unfold, but um, it's interesting nonetheless. I think the Bulls team we've seen in the past few games has been the Bulls team we're going to get for the rest of the year. Uh, that team is not going to be beating good teams like the Clippers, who I think we have coming up next, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, the Lakers and Clippers. Lakers, yeah, Clippers and then we're Boston. not going to win those games unless yeah. they're resting somebody or some crazy shit happens. But uh, otherwise, I mean, we're not going to be good. But it, I think I think the Bulls now are closer to the last four games or whatever than they were the first three and especially the first two. Well, I, I guess the the irony to that is that the fact that the rotation has been hemmed some because the team has been without four players, four yeah. of them. I don't know if all four are definite guarantees in the rotation. Two most certainly are in Larry Markkinen and uh, Tomas Sadoransky. But uh, do you think there's uh, any parallels as to the, the team looking a lot better the last few games without those guys? Or what are I your don't thoughts on that? Necess- I think it's just because veterans have been getting more minutes. Uh, yeah. I made the point, though, that I think... Uh, I, I don't know how sustainable the play of some of the veterans on this team is because... Mm-hmm. Uh, Billy is asking them to do a lot of things that outside of what their typical role is, and they've been doing that pretty well lately. Uh, I just don't know how uh, sustainable that's going to be in terms of being consistent with that. Uh, and then it's, I think you tweeted something about it's going to be interesting to see once Markkinen comes back and Hutch comes back, like what the mix between vet to young guy is going to be, how much win is prioritized, prioritized over development and all that. Uh I think from Donovan's perspective, because we saw a lot of Thad Young late game instead of Wendell, I think he's more on the he's going to lean on whatever he thinks is going to win us games more than anything else. Uh, I don't think Markinen or Wendell are going to get cut up minutes from that or anything like that. But I feel his priority is definitely going to be on whatever is going to work the best. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. But at the same time, like that's when it gets interesting, particularly in the front court, because. To, to the to the point you sort of just noted there, even without Lowry and um, still having Wendell Carter and Daniel Gafford around, I won't mention the other centers who are sort of still hanging around the, on the roster at the moment, but he has been cl- uh, closing games with Thad Young, added Lowry Markkinen back into the into the fold, who himself was playing a lot of center, particularly as the backup center at this point. That's going to be an interesting dynamic, how he sort of handles... Williams and Otto Porter versus Garrett Temple and how that that flows on to, to the backcourt. I think that is going to be from an interesting standpoint to view from a rotational point of view. But um, yeah, we'll obviously see how it shakes out. Hopefully those guys get back quickly. It probably will happen after the West Coast road trip here and probably for the Boston game, I'm assuming, is when Larry will be back. But uh, how have you, of what have you made of Donovan and his specific rotations? Obviously, we've talked about competency, but are we, uh, like we said before, the, the, the baseline is low, but taking away the whole boiling factor, do you think he has looked like a, a good NBA coach at this point from a scheme point of view, from rotations, those sorts of things? I don't know that I would say good. I would just continue yeah. to use the word competent. And I, yeah. I never thought that highly of Billy Donovan before he came to the Bulls, so I didn't have high expectations. Uh, I would... I, I, I did see some questionable lineups, but then I was also kind of factoring in the fact that a lot of those lineups was when we were lower on players. So I don't know how much there's not much in the rotation that uh, stands out to me because the one thing that did stand out, I don't remember what the lineup was, but it was like zero offense in that lineup and the defense wasn't even amazing. 
It was like Thad, Gafford, uh, Denzel, and uh, Kobe, and someone else. But it, it was a bad lineup. But uh, I just, I, 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 there's no like mind-numbingly stupid rotations like what was coming <laughs> coming from uh, Boylan, like yeah, yeah. running a full bench lineup for like ten minutes straight. Yeah, that that is definitely true. We haven't 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 experienced that at this point, which is uh which is nice. I, I've liked that the fact that he's blended his uh bench units quite nicely with the the starting units. But that that that's actually been interesting. The fact that essentially the young call, if we want to call them that, the young starters have been starting, and then the, all the vets essentially are coming off the bench. And I, I don't know if that dynamic is going to continue throughout the season. Well, I mean, what are your what is your prediction around that? Do you think? Guys like Otto, maybe less so uh, Temple and Thad, but do you think someone like Otto may may force himself into the starting lineup at some point, either for the, at the expense of Wendell or, uh, or Patrick Williams, something like that? I think Otto is pretty much always going to be closing. I don't think Patrick's going to be closing very much. Patrick is interesting, for sure. Uh, he's definitely shown more offensive potential than I thought. I'm not trying to transition to this, but... Uh, there's there's also definitely rookie moments, not necessarily like dumb plays, just like that's something that it would be better to have a veteran in for that situation, things like that. Um, I definitely think Otto's going to close games. Uh, I don't know. It, I, I don't have a concrete prediction on that one because I'm not entirely sure. I, I think it would depend on what a lot of these young players prove because there's a lot of pe- players on the scene that we've been waiting to see prove stuff. And I mean it's been back and forth as to whether or not they have proven stuff like that. And I guess that's a waiting game on that. Yeah, all of that is fair. And, and, and despite Otto obviously coming off the bench, he's been starting in place of Markman for the last you know three or four games or whatever it might be, five games. But um, he's still averaging 25 minutes off the bench. Garrett Temple is someone that uh, Donovan is leaning on heavily at the moment. He's playing 25 minutes a game. He actually came in uh, to start the second half last night just due to the fact that Patrick Williams was in the uh, concussion protocol for a few minutes there. But I, th- I think that will be interesting, how, how they manage the, the Williams situation, because obviously we want to see the young player get as many minutes as possible. But to your point, a veteran coach wanting to play for wins, I'm assuming uh, Billy Donovan didn't sort of leave OKC, a rebuilding situation to to come to Chicago and just keep playing the kids, you know, 30-odd 30, 30 minutes or whatever it might be, just to to see what we've got in these types of guys. I assume he will want to be playing the vets as much as, much as possible. So, you know, that'll be interesting, how he manages Temple and Porter with with Patrick Williams and how that sort of unfolds. But, yeah, let's pivot into the players, players themselves. Well, maybe we start with the young guys because, like I said, they're, they're the ones starting the game. And at this point, the starters are getting absolutely walloped by teams. I mean, uh, again... On, on off numbers at this point of the season uh, are fraught with danger. The, this is uh, completely small samples at this point, so it, it's it's even somewhat reckless to even discuss those sorts of metrics. But from an advanced numbers point of view, a lot of the starters are just getting absolutely destroyed. The bench unit comes in, the Bulls get get back into the games, and they look a lot more competent. That's the the word we keep using. So, um, what what have you made of the young guys specifically? Let's start there. Let's start with the backcourt at least with with Kobe and Zach. Well, for like that whole point about the starters struggling versus bench, uh, I just don't know that the young guys on this team necessarily work all that well together, and then they're just kind of being paired together because they're the young guys and they're the more talented players on the team. But uh, mm-hmm. for Kobe and Zach, they're interesting because Zach, 
I mean, he in that Portland game, his playmaking looked amazing, and then in this Kings game, he takes a very stupid shot, which kind of costs the game when he could have, you know, yeah. When Zach is very frustrating because you'll see him make strides, especially early in the season, and you see him fall back into his old self. Uh, Kobe in the preseason, he was like legitimately. There were times where he was looking like an, a great playmaker, uh, and then that's fallen back down to reality. It shows how valuable the preseason is, but uh, I, I, I think he's, I, I've made this point a million times. I think he's a shooting guard. Um, I don't think he's, I don't think he's a primary playmaker whatsoever. I don't even know if he's a secondary playmaker, but he's definitely not the primary one. And this team is lacking a playmaker. And I don't, I don't like the fit of those two. I've been of the opinion that I think, even though I don't want to see it happen because I love Zach Levine, I think the future of this team is Zach Levine is traded. Kobe moves to his natural position and then we try and get a point guard. Yeah, look, uh, it's probably not the best podcasting, but I feel exactly the same. Uh, I, I, I agree completely. I think they'll have to make a decision at some point because there's just too much overlap or crossover between the two. And I'm just assuming that they will choose Kobe just due, due to the fact that he's 20 years old, whereas Zach in a few months' time will be 26 probably deserves to be on a, on a team that's actually good at this point rather than sort of, you know, wasting his prime years on a bad Bulls team or a bad other team, whatever that team may be. So I would like to see Zach moved at some point for hopefully some a nice return to a, to a team that actually matters where he can maybe change the perception of him as a player. But obviously, we'll uh, we'll see how that happens. But yeah, what, why do you think... It, this is something that I've been um, thinking about this season in particular, given that the Bulls have sort of really leaned into the whole Kobe as point guard type thing. But uh, look, I'm one of the skeptics as Kobe as the primary initiator, Kobe as a point guard, whatever the terminology you want to use. I'm I'm a skeptic from that point of view, not to say that I think Kobe's going to be bad, but why do you think Bulls fans, or not all Bulls fans, but some Bulls fans get so defensive around the fact that, you know, when myself, you, whoever it may be, may suggest that Kobe isn't a point guard, isn't a lead, lead creator. Why do you think they get so defensive around that? I think it's not as, I think the reason the Bulls have leaned into the point guard thing and the reason why Bulls fans are so defensive of Kobe as a point guard thing is because those fans and the Bulls also like Zach Levine. So when you say Kobe is a shooting guard, you're essentially saying those two are not going to work. So yeah. Even I think if I think if if Zach Levine was not on this team and you just said Kobe White is a shooting guard, there would not be a single complaint because there's no real implication with that statement when Zach Levine's not there. Uh, mm-hmm. And you don't have to be a good playmaker to be a good player, as Zach Levine himself proves. He Kobe is a scorer, and then I think he can be a passable playmaker, and I think he has potential to be decent defensively. Uh, and that's a good NBA player. I think he could even be an all-star caliber player if his scoring really hits the ceiling that I think it has the potential to. But he's not an elite playmaker by any means, and I really value playmaking. So uh, I, I, that's why I'm of the opinion they need to trade Zach Levine in the long term. You mentioned the youth, but also it's the contract situation as well. Yeah. Zach's on mm-hmm. a two-year. Kobe has two more years on uh, his contract and then extension when, once those team options are picked up. So, uh, yeah, I definitely think, uh, I I think Kobe is a shooting guard and I don't, I think the reason Bulls fans hate like, or get defensive of that is because if Kobe is a shooting guard, that essentially means that backcourt has to be split up. And I mean, that's what I think has to happen. 
Yeah, look, I agree. And I, I guess I'm just trying to find new and creative ways to, to come across to people when the, when I'm talking about Kobe. And when I say, you know, I don't think he's a point guard, so to speak, or a lead creator, like I, like I mentioned before, whatever terminology you want to use, I, I still wanted to come across that I still think he can be good and he has been good in games. I mean, he was amazing against the Kings yesterday. Like that was probably the best yeah, game of his career yesterday. Probably. And he's just looked, to me at least, to my eyes, he's just looked more comfortable when he's just focused on mm-hmm. being his true self, which is just that scoring guard playing off balls particularly where, I mean, half of his offense comes through the three-point shot and he's just a better shooter in catch-and-shoot situations than off the bounce, unlike someone like Zach Levine, who's just an amazing shooter off the bounce. So to me, like that's why I think Kobe would just be naturally a great secondary scorer type thing. But I don't know. Uh, I'm just trying to find out why uh, why fans get to. You pointed out he so. looks more comfortable when he's focusing on scoring. What's weird about him, and I think even points more towards him being a shooting guard, is that he you can literally see on the court his brain like flipping like a switch on and off of like, mm-hmm. I'm going to be a yeah. playmaker now or I'm going to be a scorer now. And it's yeah. very clear when he switches, like I'm going to be a playmaker now that he is so much more uncomfortable because that's just not what he really naturally is. When he turns on that, I'm a scorer mode. Uh, he has a tendency to sometimes take shots that he maybe shouldn't, but at the end of the day, he definitely seems more like that guy than the playmaker by a country mile. He definitely seems like it seems like whenever he is trying to be a playmaker, it's because he was told that's what he's supposed to do, not because that's what he's actually built to do. Yeah, I completely agree. And like when Donovan is asked these questions around Kobe as a point guarding post game press conference, he. he he does his best to sort of uh, to sort of dance around the fact that you know he's really struggling as a playmaker, but from a pure scoring point of view, he's obviously adding value. So I guess the irony to it as well that they don't really have many other options here. So we sort of got to have to live yeah. live with this sort of experiment. And I guess that's why I'm assuming it was done by design by Karnashovas has to see if Kobe could sink or swim as a point guard to see if he and Zach can sort of coexist as a point guard yeah. obviously you and i have our reservations around that but even then like they don't really have many options it's worth giving it a try yeah and yeah. i wouldn't even say pull the plug right now but i just don't think it's going to yeah. work out that way no yeah I, I i feel i feel similarly but um you know kobe's been a lot better the last few games his shooting percentages percentages rather prior to the last couple of games were, were just god awful they've actually come back to a, a level of respectability at this point so he, he's playing a lot better it's so like you mentioned zach had a, a just an unbelievable game against the blazers he was mostly good against the kings but then as you sort of alluded to there the last few minutes sort of reverted back to the old zach levine after literally the night before looking like a different version of zach levine but um the guards have essentially just been doing what what they do, to my eyes at least. But um, I want to transition to the front court and talk about those guys. But before we do that, let's tell the listeners about this week's sponsor. Hey everyone, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host your own podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with BlueWire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. 
And the best part is you can get all this for only $15 a month. The same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance in the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com forward slash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com slash join. All right, back to the podcast now, talking about the balls, the start to the season, and uh, talking specifically about the players themselves. We're focusing on the front court going forward. Jacob, what, what have you made of the front court? Maybe we start with the uh, the one that uh, I guess most Bulls fans want to hear about, which is Patrick Williams. We started talking about him before, but um, what have you made of Patrick Williams through nine games in his career at this point? Well, one thing, his offense is definitely much further along than was alluded to by draft people, from my understanding. Especially mm-hmm. that mid-range pull-up shot. I just, I, I, I am someone because I grew up with Kobe being my favorite player. Mid-range shots are like my favorite thing in the world. So <laughs> seeing him be really good at it, uh, I don't know what the percentages on it are, but I know that he looks good when he's doing it. Uh, so I'm happy to see that. What I do find interesting is that he was touted more for his defensive ability. And then I haven't been the most attentive viewer in terms of looking for the smaller little details on defense, but I was kind of given, given the impression that he'd be more of a defensive playmaker. Uh, and I have, we haven't really seen that too much, uh, I definitely, I, I, I was, I'd say I'm a tad bit disappointed with his defense thus far. Granted, I have not paid the most attention, but I'm, my expectations offensively have definitely been exceeded. I will say uh, a point that I haven't seen too many people make is that his three point shot, I don't know what the percentages are. It seems like it's dropping at a decent rate, but, uh, it doesn't look like an actual good shot because it looks very mechanical. You know what I mean? Like, it looks like a robot shooting a ball. When he's shooting the (laughs) mid-range shot, there's a slight bit of mechanicalness to it, but it's not that bad. But the three-point shot, it really stands out that he doesn't seem like a natural, comfortable shooter from out there. I don't know what the percentages on that are, but uh, I would be concerned about... Because there can be guys who shoot a good percentage, but in reality, they're not that great at at shooting. Yeah, yeah, I, I kind of feel similarly. Like, strangely, he's shooting 47% from three, but at the same time, he's only taking 1.93s per game. And to your point, it, does, it doesn't look super fluid. Like, he doesn't look as confident when he's sort of off the bounce the way he does with his middies. Like, he, he's just stepping into those shots a lot more confidently. Clearly, he's still adjusting to the NBA range. So from that standpoint, obviously, it'll take some time. But yeah, I, I kind of feel similarly from his, uh, his three-point shot. It feels a little bit slow at times as well. Like, it, it, he has to get it off a little bit quicker. He's, he's managed to get it off in time just due to the fact that he's probably still a rookie. Teams haven't adjusted, don't really understand his game. And from that standpoint, he's got enough time to fire it off. But as teams start getting a little bit more versed as to who he is, what he can do, those sorts of things, then that's when it will get be interesting. But yeah, I mean, he's come in averaging 10 points per game, pretty much has been the starter from day dot. I wasn't expecting him to start, really. I, yeah, I'm either. very surprised that the team have actually gone to this all young dudes lineup. I think that's a... That's an interesting play from Billy Donovan. I just assumed Otto would slot in small forward, particularly the fact that Otto is in a contract year himself. But um, the way that sort of worked out has been interesting. But I I have been impressed with Patrick Williams' defense and just the little things that he has been doing and um, just how that sort of played out. And I've really loved the fact, particularly with Lowry being out, how he and Otto were sort of of 
being used those as that small forward power forward tandem in that starting unit it's it's small ball i, I like it a lot but um what have what have you made about that of that particular look that donovan's been using that lineup or the fact that he got the start yeah that the specific lineup with he and otto sort of starting and and, and the fact that you know the, the bulls have an inter- interchangeable sort of wing rotation yeah, at this I, point. i believe that patrick is a four like i'm pretty sure you do uh, I yeah. will say yeah. I am definitely more open to him playing small four than I was in the past. Yeah, uh, I feel similar. Uh, I mean, I don't have many thoughts on that. I think, I I think small ball is generally the way, and I am not a big fan of Lowry Markinens at this point, which is ironic as I used to be his biggest fan. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I do think if we're talking, I keep bringing trades up, but. I do think long term, if I was running this team, I'd be moving Larry Markinen, and then Patrick Williams would be my long term four, and I'd be looking for a small forward. Uh, but yeah, I think I mean it's it's a good lineup because I think Patrick is more natural at that position, and Otto has also been great this year. Yeah, he, I mean Porter's Porter's been great, and and it's too early to make sweeping claims, and I, and these are just thoughts that I have in the back of my head as I'm watching these games, but as I'm watching particularly. With Larry being absent, I'm, I've, I've really been into the fact that they've been playing smaller up front. I've been into the fact that obviously Otto Porter's playing well, whilst being a little nervous to given the fact that he obviously has you know, injury injury history and this obviously is a contract year. So I don't want to lean too heavily into Otto at this point, but I just love the look of the way this team has felt over the last five games, and it could be pure coincidence. Lowry's just out; they're just maybe having a good run here, but um. I think they've sort of found something with this smaller lineup, and um, I, I don't know if we'll get to see it more, but it's it's interesting. And Lowry hasn't played bad when he's been playing. I don't think it's necessarily like he's yeah. an issue, but I just I like Patrick at the four uh, for kind of both ends of the court, honestly. Yeah, look, I, I I definitely agree. I mean, Lowry has been quite good, actually. I mean, from a yeah. shooting splits point of view, he's averaging 50% from the field, almost 50% from the three-point line. Granted, he's only played four games, but like still, like he's doing what I'd, like the bare minimum that I would hope, coming in and just playing good offense, essentially. Like at a minimum, that's what I would expect. And he's, he's actually played those backup center minutes pretty decently. And the fact that Donovan is surrounded a week sort of rim protector like Larry Markinen with big, good, long vets like um, like Otto Porto, Garrett Temple, Tomas Sadoransky, etc. Like that sort of helped him transition to that backup center position. So I liked that they're trying that too. And Larry has been decent from that point of view. So um, yeah, the way it's flowed at this point, like there's almost been two little mini seasons, like the, the, the season with Larry and the season without Larry. So once he gets back, it'll be interesting to see how, how it plays out. But I mean, well, what did you make about Larry? not coming to an extension you sort of mentioned there that the Bulls maybe try trading him do you, do you think that's a viable thing that will happen or do you think that it'll just be too much of an impasse and no team will want to buy it at this point i'm not entirely sure i think it depends on how he plays when he comes back and if he's able to stay healthy up like if he is playing well by the trade deadline uh i think you come to the decision of has he played played good enough that we want to really extend him for the money he's going to want or do we move him and sell as high as we can on him in the position we're currently in uh to me personally even when markinen is playing well the fact that for his past couple of years he has not been a great shooter even though that's kind of supposed to be his thing and then mm-hmm. his you've talked about the drag step like the fact that he can't blow by anybody really, but he's also a seven footer 
but he's also on defense, like soft in the paint. So it's not like he's bodying people. It's like not fast enough to blow by people on offense, not a great enough shooter to where like he's just this huge threat from outside. Doesn't really have a post game, doesn't really have a mid range game. And then defensively, he's not good at that. So we're talking about a seven footer who isn't an elite shooter, uh, is pretty much okay at other things on offense and then bad at defense. I don't know how high the ceiling of that player is. Now, if he can, if he's finally taken that leap and he's going to be an elite shooter again, uh, I still wouldn't want to really pay him more than like the Wizards paid Davis Bertans. So uh, I would, I'm pretty much all the way in on I would trade Markkinen. Uh, I there might be some people listening to this that hate me. Um, but I I, I kind of gave up on him a couple years ago because I was like, this guy really hasn't taken any huge leaps since his rookie year. He's he's taken the natural leap of just being more confident, but he hasn't done anything that's really been bigger than just what he was to start. It's it, it could that could change, uh, but I am personally on the side of moving him. Yeah, I kind of feel similarly. One because Williams is a rival, but prior to this season, and as you sort of mentioned there, the fact that we have a pretty big sample size of Larry Markkinen as a shooter at this point, specifically from the three-point line. Entering the season, he had essentially shot a thousand threes and he was basically just a league average shooter. And to your point, like he came into the league and and the one thing that we thought most certainly was going to be bankable was his jump shot, which hasn't necessarily appeared from a consistency point of view. It looks nice. The mechanics are nice. It looks like it's going to go in, but for whatever reason, it just doesn't. Or at least not at a, an above average rate, let's say. He's, so, he's, I'd still say he's an above average shooter because he's taken six a game as a seven footer, and yeah, there aren't there aren't many other examples of players that can do that. But uh, it's not so good that it makes up for a lot of the negatives that come with him. That's the problem. That that, that is definitely true, and I guess he adds value to his own game if he can transition to a center, which is. But that's been the interesting thing with Lowry, more so than his scoring and his percentages. Like, can he be a center? Uh, he's doing it in the backup point of view, and I know some fans want to see him maybe start at center, and maybe we can start transitioning there and start thinking about the center rotation because that has been an interesting talking point, yes. talking point rather start amongst the Daniel fan base. Start Daniel Gafford. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I haven't had a chance to, to address the whole Gafford over Wendell Carter thing, but you, I'm, I'm sure once Lowry is back and um, we, see, we, we see Otto Porter and, and Patrick Williams st- still playing well, that there'll be calls for Lowry Markman to start over Wendell Carter as well. So um, maybe, yeah, let's transition into the center rotation. What you've made of Wendell Carter, uh, Daniel Gafford, the whole conversation around who the sending, starting center should be, all that nonsense. So it's we'll, not a conversation that should be had. It's, yeah. On top yeah. of just the fact that Wendell has more potential, he's already better than Gafford on both ends of the court. The only thing that Gafford has on Wendell is shot blocking and energy. That's literally it. Uh, I guess maybe finishing, probably, but he also only takes dunks, basically. But anyways... um. Uh, Wendell looked dead the first couple of games of the year and the entirety of the preseason. Uh, the thing is, I've even though he's been shooting the threes and he's been more aggressive scoring wise, I never really viewed Wendell as much of a scoring option. Like somebody who would be decent in the pick and roll has a jump shot you can go to occasionally, and then he could post up on a mismatch. Uh, so him not being that great of a scorer is not a huge shock to me for me what Wendell is about is the defense and then offensively it's been the playmaking flashes he's shown I know there is that clip 
uh i only watched like half of the king's games yesterday but uh there is a clip that you like quote tweeted where he basically had uh, 10 assists worth of great passes and then bulls players were just missing is i really enjoy centers that can play make and he is one of them and uh I I I'm a very big proponent of Wendell Carter. I still believe he is the Bulls' best young player. He definitely looked like shit to start this year, and then Daniel Gafford had that one amazing game versus the Wizards, and then everyone lost their damn minds. Uh, but what what annoys me the most is that after Wendell played bad, he has since played well, and those same Bulls fans that could not shut their damn mouth about how bad he played to start had nothing to say about how well he's played the past couple of games. Yeah, I guess that's the, the part that's infuriated me the most. Not like if you if you think Gafford should start over Carter, like fine, you, you can think that, but it's it's the logic that goes into that argument or that decision that's as part of the discussion that's annoyed me. Like third game of the season, Wendell Carter against the Warriors had twenty two points, thirteen rebounds, four assists, completely trucked James Wiseman, a player who a lot of fans, maybe not a lot of fans, some fans wanted to trade up for. He completely owned James Wiseman in that game. That was the third game in the season. It was either the this first or second game of the Wizards back-to-back. I can't recall exactly now. It's a, it's a week ago now. But to your point, Daniel Gafford came in, had that amazing first half, was just just changed the game, really. But at that point, like literally after one game or two games or whatever it was, people had completely forgotten about Wendell Carter's huge game against the Warriors, they had completely forgotten about how bad Daniel Gafford was up in, you know, in preseason up until that point in the season itself to the point where he was out of the rotation entirely because uh, Billy Donovan was using Larry Markinitz and it's, that's back of I know what I think it is. It's because Gafford makes the highlight plays more than Wendell yeah. in less time. But the actual basketball stuff that actually matters yeah. in terms of impacting winning games, Wendell is way better at. And I, I really like Daniel Gafford. And I hate that I have to like say negative mm. things about him because I think he yeah. can be like a Taj Gibson for this team where he's that energy big man off of the bench. But And like I saw someone make a comparison. They legitimately said that Wendell starting over Gafford was like when uh, Boozer started over Taj. It's like that's not a comparison <laughs> at all. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think it's because Wendell he's all he's way at least way more about the little things than Gafford is. For Gafford, there isn't much substance behind him outside of the dunks and the blocks. And uh, that's not to say that he's a bad player, but there's more to Wendell than that. And Gafford, he just kind of is that, and that's essentially it. Yeah, look, I, I feel similarly. I mean, if you look at Gafford's numbers, not not just this season, but even last season, he's just he's just really a, a poor rebounder. I mean, at the point at yeah. this point where Kobe White's rebounding percentage is essentially very close to to Daniel Gafford's. What's which is funny not about what that is I've seen people say they should start Gafford because he's a real big man. Because there's people that yeah. think Wendell's too yeah. small to be a five, but then Wendell is out rebounding him at every turn. Yeah, that and the fact that there's literally, I mean, at worst, Wendell Carter is six foot nine, Daniel Gafford is six foot ten. I'm, I mean, I'm assuming some people think Daniel Gafford is seven foot one, but he, even his wingspan is, is shorter than Wendell Carter. It's, Wendell Carter has a seven foot four wingspan. I think Daniel it's, has a I think seven it's a mentality one. thing as well, just because there's yeah. people that play bigger than they are, people that play smaller than they are. And I don't think there's mm-hmm. times where Wendell is like, sometimes it's like, 
this guy looks like he's too small just because he doesn't play like he's bigger than he is. And I never really feel that way with Gafford. So to a slight degree, I understand that belief. But like when you actually look into it, it's it's not like Gafford is some 7'5 guy with an <laughs> 8-foot wingspan that's grabbing 15 rebounds in five minutes like some people seem to act like he is. Yeah, and, and look, I won't rant on it too much because I, I get too overly passionate about this topic. But um, yeah, it's just it's it's just annoys me because to your point, like it, it makes me have to say negative things or at least sort of you know point out the facts around Daniel Gafford and the fact that he's a perfectly fine second or third center. People sort of projecting him a little bit higher, wanting him to start and benching Wendell at this point of the season. I just it just seems so reactionary to me, and that's the part that yeah. really annoys me. I the, feel uh, that same way about Kobe White for the most part because yeah. I'm, I'm known as like a Kobe White hater by Bulls fans now. And it's like I'm literally <laughs> I like Kobe White a lot, but some of you guys take your conversation too far, and I have to be like, guys, chill, yeah. chill out. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I definitely feel that. Wendell versus Gafford should not be a conversation. And the fact that uh, the Bulls, I don't, uh, NBC Bulls or whatever that Twitter account is called, uh, they posted a, a poll and it was like only 60% Wendell. <laughs> it's like, Jesus Christ, this fan base is stupid. <laughs> I, I did not see that poll and I'm, I'm glad I didn't see that poll now that I've, that you, now that you've mentioned it. I actually it, but, think um... I shifted the results because I quote tweeted it like, good God, and it changed by like 6%. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, fair, fair enough, fair enough. But um, I, I guess the last thing I wanted to talk about, and the, the, I, I guess the, another talking point, let's say, or another narrative amongst the fan base, the media, I mean, it's not just necessarily amongst the fan base because you hear it on the broadcast, you hear it post-game as well about, uh, you know, Carter being called out for the defense of the team at this point. The Bulls have transitioned away from a blitz-type coverage, a very aggressive scheme to something a little bit more conservative like the drop coverage, which... Its intention is to protect the paint, to protect the rim, to to promote, you know, mid-range jumpers, those sorts of things. That's essentially what it's designed to do. Now, the Bulls haven't necessarily been executing that well from a team point of view. Their defense is quite bad at this point. But again, the narrative at this at this point, and what I keep hearing is Wendell Carter just isn't playing defense. His defense is bad, and I I, I don't know where that's come from either. And I I guess I wanted to end here. Um, now that I am fully into, into my rant, I didn't want to say I wanted to rant about it, but here I am. But what have you made about this whole discord about the defense, the Bulls on that side of the ball, the fact that a lot of people are blaming Carter for it or blaming Donovan for even implementing a drop coverage? What What are your holistic thoughts about the defense? I do agree to an extent that Wendell has looked a little worse defensively than he did last year. I think that's a fair claim to make. Uh, I do think it's been well overblown. And you made a good point the other day because I was initially mad about some of the drop coverage I saw specifically in that Blazers game. I know late game there was a, a CJ three-pointer that was so stupidly wide open. Uh, but I you made a good point where you're like, well, why is like all of the team defenders outside of Wendell are just giving that guy that shot. It's not really Wendell's responsibility to step up in that situation. Uh, it was like the team is failing him and then he's in this position where he has to come running out of the paint to, you're not, you didn't say this specifically. <laughs> I'm just like kind of elaborating on kind of the rough point you made. But uh, I think a lot of the reason why Wendell has been caught in these bad positions where he's dropping back is because other defenders on the team have been caught out of position and, Wendell was not in the position to really recover from that. It's not really his fault. Um, I still think uh, 
Wendell does have a tendency to drop a little bit too much. And I, I, I did like some elements of that blitz scheme. And we saw it for a, from a general standpoint from the season, it did, it was better defense than what we're playing right now. Um, but I don't think it's fair that Wendell's getting a brunt of that blame. And I think this team is feeling a lot of the loss of Chris Dunn. I, th- I think I think that's a good point. And, and whether it's Dunn, whether it's Shaq Harrison, or just the fact that they just don't have many defensive options in the backcourt. I mean, that was something we all kind of intrinsically knew. So I, that's why I'm surprised as to why people are surprised that the defense is bad, despite Wendell Carter still being around. I mean, it is still a poor, porous perimeter defense. Like players are just getting into the lane way too easy. And, Yes, that's exposing the drop coverage to an to a to an extent. And post game against the Kings yesterday, uh, Billy Donovan made it pretty clear that it's probably more so on the point of attack defenders, those guy the the guys guarding the ball handler, like they're just not staying connected to the to their man and just getting or they're just dying on screens essentially, and that that ball handler is just entering the pain way too easily. Generally speaking, I am not. I don't like drop coverage, but yeah, it is not inherently ineffective and. It, it not working with Wendell hasn't really been his fault as much as it has been the teams. I would still like to see a defensive system implemented that didn't rely on Wendell dropping so much because I like the idea of him being more mobile. Sometimes he has flashes of being more mobile and sometimes not. Uh, but, and I would like to see him in more situations and he's where he's not put in the position where he always has to drop because that seems to be the defensive scheme. Uh, but to blame all the defensive woes on Wendell, I think, is unfair, especially because he's not even really playing bad defense at all. Yeah, look, I, I agree with most of that. I guess my one pushback would be like any scheme that you implement with this roster, and this is just my belief of the roster but, and the, yeah. the defensive talent on the roster. Like, even if you're playing a more aggressive scheme, you may not be leaking points or allowing guards to sort of stream into the lane the way they are currently are, but you may be you, you may be giving up points on on backdoor cuts or you know corner threes or whatever it might be. There'll there'll be other weaknesses that pop up just due to the fact that this is a weak defensive team. They're not good at communicating. They're not good at rotating. So that, that I guess more that's where I'm at a loss. A general point, not necessarily about this team in general, but just or yeah, this yeah. team specifically. But in general. I do. Yep. I don't like drop coverage very much. I think Bam out of bio specifically on the Heat really showed me that drop yeah. co- coverage is really flawed. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, fair. just in a long term standpoint, I would like to see Wendell not turn into the drop guy, especially because I don't think I don't think he's so slow on his feet that that's something that he just inherently has to do. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And and look, to to be fair to Donovan, I mean, when he had, you know, those big, long athletes in OKC, less so last season, but the, the year prior where he had Jeremy Grant, Paul George, um, you know, Russell Westbrook, um, a few others on, on the perimeter there, like they played a more aggressive defensive scheme where they were hedging higher, they were sort of blitzing on occasions as well. Nerlens Noel was another guy that they had sort of that enabled that sort of scheme. So he's he's had different schemes. So this drop coverage isn't specific to Donovan as such. He's prepared to to mix it all around. But I guess he's just made the uh, the assessment that this best fits the team for the moment. And I kind of agree with him. But uh, yeah, like I said, I just I was just getting on my soapbox from a Wendell point of view, as I typically stand. Uh, typically, uh, I, I I do read it up from time to time. But um, yeah, look, I, I just wanted to rant about that. Thank you for uh, entertaining me on that one. You need to get me on a pod with uh, C Red Fred so we can both yell at him. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, uh, look. Uh, surprisingly, the, the one topic that C Red Fred and I um, see a lot of, uh, you know, eye, eye to eye on is is the is the defense is Wendell. So uh, we're both big Wendell fans. Mm-hmm. So um, 
Yeah, maybe other topics like Denzel or something like that. We can most well, no, I'm I'm pro that. Denzel. Oh no, I <laughs> <laughs> oh, will have to find something else then. Archie Diakno? Is he pro Archie? No, no, he's definitely against him. Oh. I don't know. We'd ha- we'd have to find a different topic, I guess. But um, most of the time on Twitter, I find myself agreeing with you when they're arguing, <laughs> when you two are arguing. <laughs> Uh, well, look, I appreciate that, but uh, God love Fred. He's, he's a good man. But um, look, I appreciate you also coming on. Uh, it was fun talking Bulls. It's been a few weeks since I last spoke about the Bulls. Um, it's been an interesting start to the season. They're, they're four and five. The uh, the advanced numbers aren't good, but the, the record's not too bad. And uh, at least at least over the last few games, the team has looked competent. Maybe that changes after the, after the next few games based on the schedule coming up. But um, yeah, nonetheless, I uh, appreciate you coming on. Before you get away, tell the listeners where they can follow you online, where they can catch your content, all that good stuff. I feel weird shutting out my Twitter because it's only like 30% basketball at this point. But if you're looking for <laughs> basketball conversation, uh, follow me on YouTube at Rusty Buckets. Too easy, mate. Well, um, like I said, appreciate you coming on, and um, it's been good to see. Uh, it's been good to see you grow your platform, I guess, uh, from from my point of view. Uh, just I watching it. from afar, it's been cool to see. So uh, keep doing it, and maybe next time you uh, you jump on Balls HQ, assuming assuming uh, you would want to come on, then uh, you may have like two hundred thousand subs on YouTube. I know it might like be too that, big so. for you by then. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm getting at. So maybe uh, I'll have to speak to your people or something like that at, at that point. But um, now keep doing what you're doing. It's good to see. Always want to. It's always good to see independent independent creators uh, doing their thing. So uh, keep at it, mate. But I uh, appreciate you come jumping on, uh, Bulls fans. That's just about does it for this episode of Bulls HQ. Whilst you're out there, so look for, uh, following Jacob, catching him on YouTube, on Twitter, all that sort of stuff. Hit me up on Twitter too at MK Hoops. Follow the show on Twitter too. Bulls HQ Pod. If you want to send me an email, you can bullshqpod at gmail.com. All that good stuff. We'll see how the Bulls sort of progress over the remaining few games over their West Coast trip here. Like we said from the top, they got the Lakers, they got the Clippers, and they got the the Boston Celtics at home. So a tough, tough few games coming up. But uh, we'll be back. I'll uh, probably after the Celtics after the Celtics game to to wrap up the last few. But uh, thank you for tuning into this one. Like I said. Hopefully 2021 is a better year than 2020 for everyone listening. Hasn't necessarily got off to the greatest of starts, but hopefully that's about to change. But that just about does it for this episode of Bulls HQ. Thank you for tuning in. Speak soon, Bulls fans. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase.
Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. <laughs> 